Our second scripture reading comes from 1 John, chapter 3, verses 16 through 24. Please listen for a word from God. We know love by this, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? Little children, let us love not in word and speech, but in truth and action. And by this we will know that we are from the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have boldness before God, and we receive from him whatever we ask, because we obey his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. All who obey his commandments abide in him, and he abides in them. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit that he has given us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Our God of utmost steadfast love. Amen. Well, I want to thank you as we continue our sermon series, Stories for Young and Old, for humoring a Tucson boy and reading a classic, The Cactus Hotel. It was between that or The Three Javelinas, which is a retelling of The Three Pigs with giant rodents that live in Tucson. So you guys win, I guess. But I, you might be thinking to yourself, Brett, why... And talking about God's love, would you use a cactus as a metaphor? I mean, I literally picked one of the most dangerous, unloving, unnurturing plants in the world to talk about love. And you're right, that is true. But in fairness, everything in Tucson, every plant is pretty much trying to hurt you, so I didn't have a lot to work with. But here's what I love about it is it talks about it's tough to grow in the desert. And you know what? It's tough to love like this gospel of John passage and this epistle of John passage calls us to love. It's a lot like trying to grow in the desert. To demonstrate love and word and action and voice and deed is not easy. To love throughout the entirety of our lives and life and death and everything in between is difficult, difficult work. But I love how this book takes us through the life cycle of the cactus. The way the cactus interacts with its environment, the role it plays in its ecosystem. Its own journey, its own life is woven together. And I think that's a beautiful metaphor for us trying to understand the love of God to know what it means to love as God loves us. You know, sometimes we are filled with God's spirit and God's love, and we have these moments of realization that God's love is so true, so real in our life. It's like the skies have opened up and the grace of God rains mercy upon us. 
We swell with God's grace, with God's love. We hold it, we treasure it, knowing that it sustains us. We're bursting forth, just like the cactus, we swell. And we want to share that with others. But we hold on to those moments because we know droughts come. We know there are moments when it feels like the sun is just beating down on us, like there is no reprieve, and we become skinny. We become gaunt. And at that time, just like the saguaro, we need the shade of a Palo Verde. We need the sheltering of a community to remind us of the hope of God's love, the hope of rain. And like the saguaro, we continue to grow, to grow in our spiritual lives, to grow in our understanding of God's love. We have these moments of trust where we really trust God's faithfulness. We're trying to be more compassionate just as God is compassionate. We're trying to be more empathetic because we serve a God full of empathy. We try to give grace because God has given us the ultimate grace. We try to show love just as Jesus Christ has shown us love. But if you're like me, I often feel like I'm trying to embody these characteristics of love to grow in truth. And like the saguaro, after 25 years of trying, I'm two feet tall. Not much, it feels, has happened. Yet just like life, we continue to grow slow and fast. We know that God is beckoning us towards love, towards lives of love. And like the saguaro, we cannot grow without our community. The saguaro needs its seeds to be scattered by the pack rat. The saguaro needs the Gila woodpecker to live in it, to eat the insects that would cause disease. The saguaro needs the shade of the Palo Verde when things are too hard. A community, a church that helps find fresh soil to grow. A community that provides shade and protection when we just need a little refuge from life. But I think what is most profound to me, both in these scripture passages and in this story, is the Cactus Hotel's self-givingness and death. That idea of dying to ourselves, of dying for others in this immeasurable act of love. Just as Christ took on death, Christ took on sins, the wages of which are death, Jesus lovingly took all that so that we could know love and life. The saguaro needs to die so that it can provide shelter for the lowly and unthought of. The snake takes shelter in the ribs. The termites take refuge in the toppled hotel. A lizard camps around looking for insects to feed on. The scorpion moves into the hotel. All these animals we do not usually think about, we, haven't, we don't care about, they find a home in the saguaro. So the question becomes, what needs to die in me so that others, those who are not seen, those who are not thought of, may know love. We are a religion that believes in life after death. We believe in resurrection. We believe Jesus conquered the power of death in our lives. Yet the idea of needing to die, of something needing to die in us, is still terrifying. The idea that we must give up some so that others may live and know life is truly a difficult task. I'm unsure about you, but I know there are many things in my life that need to die so that others may know love. My selfishness, my greed, 
those many privileges that I hold on to, that I desperately cling to, because I don't want to relinquish any power. I want to hoard it up. But when I think, I think when we look at the cross together, when we look at that great moment when the world was turned upside down, when we embrace those paradoxes that come with the cross, that there is, in death there is salvation, that in weakness there is power, that in ugliness there is beauty, that in suffering there is redemption, that in pain there is love. I find I'm really quick to claim salvation, power, beauty, redemption, and love. I'm really good at wanting those things. But I refuse to acknowledge the call of, Christ, of the cross, which calls to death, of weakness, to ugliness, to suffering, to pain, so that those things may be known. Because here's the reality is people in this world, people in our community, people in this country are hurting. And as followers of Christ, we must be willing to give up some. We must be willing to let some die so that those around us may know love. I'm unsure what needs to die in each of us, but it may be an attribute. Laziness and apathy, not wanting to check on a neighbor, to check on a church member, to check on someone who's outside of your normal range of community. Maybe what needs to die is an institution you support an institution that perpetrates hurt in its community or a community outside of your own. Maybe what needs to die is how we spend our money, our, often our golden calf of hoarding money so that we cannot let others live, that selfishness must die so that others may know comfort or dignity. There's a story of a man who after being released from prison for 19, stumbled into a small town. As per law, he had to show the mayor of the town his papers that he was an ex-convict, and it being a small town, word traveled fast. The man could not find work, he could not find a place to sleep, he could not find a place to eat. He was chastised by those in the town. When he eventually did find a job for the same amount of work, he was paid half the wage. Someone in the town took pity on the man and told him what door he should knock on and ask for help. The man at wit's end goes to the door and knocks. And who answers the door but Muriel, the, Muriel, the local bishop. The bishop invites him in for a place to stay, for dinner, for conversation, for dignity, for a place to sleep. The bishop sets the table with his only two valuable possessions, silverware and his silver candlesticks. As they eat, this gruff stranger eventually takes an early leave to bed. Muriel goes to sleep and is awoken in the morning by police who have caught the man down the road with Muriel's silverware. They tell him that the man claims that it was given as a gift but they are pretty sure that's not true based on the man's past. The priest looks at the man and chastises the man for leaving so quickly that he forgot to take the silver candlesticks as well as a gift. 
He explains to the police that he has given both of these things to the man. And then he urges the man to go out and live an upright life, one of love and grace. This is the story of Victor Hugo's uh, character Jean Valjean from Les Miserables. Maybe you've seen the musical. The Bishop Muriel has this to say. He says, let us not never fear robbers or murderers. Those are dangers from without, petty dangers. Let us fear ourselves. Prejudices are our real robbers. Vices are our real murderers. The great dangers lie within ourselves. We think what matters is what threatens our head and our purse, but let us think about what threatens our soul. The very next scene in the book, which is not included in, in many of the musical adaptations, is Jean Valjean leaving the town bewildered by what has just happened. And he comes upon a little boy named Petit Gervais. And he sees a chance to steal the little boy's coin that has fallen. When, he, when the little boy accuses Jean Valjean of stealing his coin, Jean Valjean reacts indignantly and yells at the boy who runs away crying at the loss of his coin. And it's then that Jean Valjean realizes the grace that was given to him the mercy and love that were bestowed upon him, and he chases after the boy, trying to return the coin, and it sets in motion this journey for him of a life of love. Beloved, I believe that the love of God changes people, that it changes us, and that it changes the world. That love of Jesus Christ, that love that has felt the deepest hurts of abandonment, that love that has felt physical pain, that love that has felt the crushing weight of sin. Yet Christ overcame all of those so that we may taste love. And now we are called to go and do likewise. And this doesn't happen without a change in our life. Love requires a sacrifice, a sacrifice of self, and the church, church members, the church as a whole should not be the last to let go of our rights, but the first. Should not be the most reluctant to sacrifice, but the first so that others may know that love of Christ. Therefore, let us prayerfully let die the things that are preventing us from loving and demonstrate to the world that unimaginable, unrelenting steadfast love which touches us every moment of every day. Thanks be to God. Amen.